My, uh, I guess, personal, not challenge, but encouragement to you is that you would go through the Gospels and uh, over this next two weeks and really familiarize yourself with uh, a, a new, I know you've read it multiple times before, but familiar, familiarize yourself anew with the events, the characters, uh, you know, the storyline, because, you know, go back and dig into it. Look for the prophecies that are fulfilled. You know, it's just, uh, it's just so rich. And Resurrection Sunday, of course, is a day that we're, we're to celebrate every day, uh, but we're looking at the time of the calendar in which it actually happened, and so that's why we celebrate it uh, at Easter. But uh, just do yourself a favor. And read, read all the accounts and, and check them against one another. I had such a good time doing that as I prepared for this uh, message here. Uh, it just, you know, adds so much to it when you, when you look at each individual account. So I want to encourage you to do that. We're in the book of Mark this morning, chapter 14. We uh, are pretty much at the same place we were before uh, the last couple weeks. Uh, because we are talking about the events leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, where we're coming from today is still Thursday, uh, the Last Supper, uh, and the events immediately that, that follow the Last Supper. Uh, and it bleeds into Friday morning by the time we're done here. And so time-wise, that's where we're at. We're, we're on the Thursday evening, Friday morning, early Friday morning of uh, the, the weekend in which our Lord was, was crucified. And so uh, the things I want to remind you as we, we go on, you know, I, put your, I want you to put yourself in the place of, um, of some of these people as you read. Uh, even today. Stop and think what it would have been like. You know, it's so easy to just read the account, read the scriptures, and just kind of like it's a, like it's a story, um, almost a novel. And these are real people, and these are real events, and these are, they're flesh and blood like you and I. And that's really what we want to tie into this morning, because we're going to look at the, the account of Peter uh, on, the, on, on this evening and early morning. Uh, story I'm sure you're very familiar with, Peter's denials. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at. But the, the thing I really hope you grasp is the difference between living life energized by the Holy Spirit of God and living life energized by your own wisdom and your own strength, which the Bible refers to as the flesh. The flesh is our uh, earthly enemy. We have a spiritual enemy, which is Satan, who uh, knows how to incite our flesh. He knows how we're wired. Uh, has watched us all these years as we've decided what we believe is right and wrong, truth and error. And so he knows how to give us thoughts that incite 
our flesh. And that's what you're going to see in this story here today with Peter. Peter has what I call the best of the flesh. You know, this was a guy who was a gunner. Uh, this was a guy who was an achiever. This is a loyal, loyal man and a capable man and an emotional man. And we've watched him over the course of the, the Gospel of Mark. We've watched him get himself in trouble because of that multiple times, uh, but never quite as much as he gets himself into trouble here in this account. Not that one is greater than the other, it's just that this one stung Peter far more than any of the others. So if you want to turn to Mark chapter 14, we'll pick up really at the, the end of the Last Supper. Okay, they've, they've already um, celebrated, they've already eaten together. Uh, we call it the Last Supper. Those guys were clueless it was the Last Supper. Um, but, you know, that's what we call it. It was the Last Supper they had together before, uh, before the, the crucifixion. But they didn't call it that. They were having a Passover uh, dinner. They were having the Passover supper. And they had prepared that. They had eaten it. By this point where we're going to pick up today, Judas has already gone. He's already left the upper room, and he's on his way to betray the Savior, the Lord. Uh, so there's 11 of them left, 12 counting Jesus, and they're leaving. Now, they're, they didn't just eat up there. If you read the account in John, you're going to find there's, uh, there's chapters written about what Jesus spoke on while they were in that upper room. Very important, not that some things are more important than others, but, you know, imagine knowing what Jesus knew that these guys were going to go through. Imagine knowing what they needed to know to continue to live now without him in their midst. Not just he knew he was coming back, but he knew he was going to leave again, and so he's preparing them. You know, what would you tell your loved ones if you knew that uh, later that day you were going to be killed? Uh, what would you tell them? Well, that's what you read in, in John, uh, uh, John chapter, well, uh, chapter 17, 16, and so on, 15. So go back and read that. But here we've, they're, they're finished with this. It's late in the evening, probably about 11 o'clock by this point, uh, somewhere in there. They're leaving the upper room. They're heading toward the Mount of Olives, uh, which is that hillside just outside of uh, Jerusalem, and it says in verse 26, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not die, deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. 
I'm going to read Luke's account of that exchange um, from verse, or chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail in you when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Here's Peter. Remember, Jesus had uh, been telling them, all of them, that he was going to be delivered into the hands of evil men. He would be crucified, but he would, uh, and he would die. And, but after, on the third day, he would rise again. Uh, and he'd been telling them that multiple times. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about it three different occasions, and here he is again. Only now he's saying, uh, he's saying, you know what? I know what you're going to do because it's been prophesied already. In uh, Zechariah, uh, verse, or chapter 13, verse 7, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man, my associate. The mighty man is literally how that's translated. My associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered. The Lord knew what the outcome was going to be for his apostles. And he's telling them that. He's forewarning them. But what you find here is Peter arguing with God. Never really a good place to be. Uh, but he's, 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 you know, God, you may, you may, Lord, you may know all things. You may know a lot of stuff. You know, you've taught us a ton of stuff, and it's good stuff, but you don't know me. You don't know what I'm capable of. I will never deny you, even if I have to go to the grave. I won't deny you. But in Luke's account, it says, Simon, Jesus says, Simon, Simon. It's interesting he calls him Simon. Jesus was the one who nicknamed him in John chapter 1. He nicknamed him Cephas, or the rock. He's the strong guy. He's the hard-charging guy. He's the one that, that the Lord was, was going to uh, develop to lead his, his church to establish his church. But here he calls him Simon. Simon, Simon, and he says it twice. It's never a good thing when the Lord has to use your name twice. Just like with Philip, 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 how long have I been with you? And yet you still say, show us the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen him. Here he says, Simon, Simon, you don't know what you're talking about. Simon, Simon, Satan, has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You have no clue what's coming. You have no idea who you're actually going to be in battle with this night. But even in that, he says, I'm praying for you, but once you have turned again, in other words, buddy, you're going to fail. You're, you're not going to hold up. But once you've turned again, 
strengthen your brothers. But he says, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow again or will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. Now he suddenly calls him Peter. Starts off with Simon, Simon. Now he says Peter. And this is, you know, it's not the Lord mocking him per se, but he's saying, Simon, Simon, this is who you really are. You're, you're really not as strong as you think you are. But then he turns around and refers to him as, I say to you, Peter, you know, Rock, you're going to crumble, my friend. You're going to crumble. You're not who you think you are. Peter saw himself as the rock. And Jesus is almost say, hey, rock man, you aren't that strong. Goes on to say, they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not wa keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They did not know what to answer him. And he came to the, them a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Here, Jesus takes the three, the three closest to him, Simon, Peter being one of them, takes them and says, you know, pray with me. And pray for yourselves. Pray for this hour. And Jesus goes off, and there's a whole other sermon there about his fervent prayer that it even brought forth the, 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 the sweat that contained blood because of the agony that he was in, looking toward what, what Bill is going to preach on next week, looking toward the crucifixion. But not just the bodily crucifixion, but the realization that he was going to have to become our sin and thus be separated from the Father during that time on the cross. And that's what brought forth the agony. That's why he didn't want that, uh, if it was possible, that, that we could do this a different way. But this, he said, is the way. And he comes back to Peter and he says, Peter, are you getting this? You couldn't even stay awake for an hour. I asked you to do something, and you couldn't even do that, rock man. Uh, he wasn't mocking him. He didn't say that. I said that. But 
this was, this was Jesus. And Peter, I love Peter. I identify probably the most with Peter because he's so brash and gets, puts his foot in his mouth more often than anybody. Um, but this was, in, this was indicative of what was going to happen. Simon, couldn't you even stay awake and pray for me for an hour? And then he goes away, comes back again. They're sleeping. But now it's time. Now it's time for them to, uh, to move on. But there's a key, key principle here that Jesus is teaching the, his apostles. He says, the spirit is willing, but oh, watch out for your flesh because the flesh is weak. And I want to pause for a minute here and define briefly what the flesh is. I'm not talking just about our body, our, our, our flesh and blood, the, the makeup of our uh, physical existence. I'm talking about that, that mindset of how to live in this physical world through this physical body. That, that attitude that we develop, that mindset that we develop before we ever know God exists. It's survival. It's our strategy on how to make life work independent of God because we're not aware of God or how he works. So we're, we're running in the energy of the flesh from the moment we're born till the moment we acknowledge Jesus Christ. But keep in mind, once we acknowledge Jesus Christ, though we become a new creation, the flesh does not leave. We're still in it, okay? And the flesh that he's talking about is that mindset, that power that the enemy has access to to motivate us to walk as though we don't know truth, that we don't know God, that we take matters into our own hands, that this is the best way to do it, ignoring what God says. The spirit is willing, but all the flesh is weak. And Peter was operating in the energy and the power of his flesh, his determination. And by now, Jesus, you know, you got to wonder what Peter's thinking because here uh, he's argued with Jesus about his, his loyalty, his love, his determination. He's argued with the Lord about that. Now he's going to prove it. I'm going to prove that I'm faithful. I'm going to prove what I said. But Jesus is saying, hey, buddy, couldn't even stay awake. How are you going to, when, when adversity comes, what are you going to do? Well, here we have it in verse 43. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders the religious dudes. And again, that's my, that's not in there. But that's who those guys were. Now, he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and, uh, and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. 
But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they all left him and fled. So here we have it. Judas comes, brings the crowd, um, and, and it's time to arrest Jesus. They're probably prepared for a fight. Peter's going to give it to him. It doesn't say in the account of Mark that it was Peter, but it does uh, elsewhere. Uh, John says it was Peter. Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of a servant named Malchus. His name was Malchus. And Luke, the doctor of the, of the you know, he's of the four authors of the Gospels, Luke is the, uh, is the, the physician, and he mentions in his Gospel that Jesus reached out and healed that ear. Imagine what these guys are thinking. When, when they ask, are you him, after Judas kisses him in uh, one of the other accounts, it says that they all, he says, I am he, and they all fall down. What was that? And then Peter, now still stinging from the argument, determined to prove Jesus wrong, draws his sword and lashes out at one of these stunned soldiers, cuts off his ear. And Jesus reaches out and heals it. What was that? Can you imagine being one of those guys? Who are we arresting here? What is going on here? You know, man, I, I wish I would have had the morning shift. You know, I really don't want to be here. But they lead him away, and there's no fight because Jesus goes peacefully. But what happened to the, 12, the 11? They scatter. They scatter. Just as it was prophesied, just as Jesus said. Exactly as Jesus said. But Peter and John, we find out from the other accounts, uh, tag along. They kind of, they follow along in the, in the shadows, and I'm certain Peter's probably wanting to hang out in the shadows since he's the guy who drew this, you know, drew the, it was actually a, probably about an 18-inch dagger-type instrument that he cut off his ear with. You know, he's, he's probably kind of not wanting to be seen by these guys. It says that he, he followed from afar off in another account. And here's, but he, he gets in. They take Jesus into, uh, into the courts. They take Jesus in to be seen by Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was uh, a former high priest who, who's, who had four sons who each had already been high priest, and now they were on Caiaphas, who was a son-in-law. He was, the, he was the, the sitting high priest at the time. But they go to Annas first, because Annas is kind of the big guy. He's kind of the big shot. He's the one who really, you know, everybody defers to. So they take him to Annas' uh, the house of the priest. They're in the same place, Annas and, and Caiaphas are actually, they live in the same dwelling, uh, just different apartments of the same dwelling, but it was the home of the high priests. And so that's where they take him. And he, Jesus is in the house at this time. 
So Peter comes, and uh, we, we find out that John's already there, and, and they don't let Peter in. But John goes because he has relationship with uh, some of the servants of uh, the high priest. He talks him into letting Peter in. So now Peter's in. But the servant girl who's there at the gate recognizes him. It says, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. And he went out onto the porch. If you have a King James Bible or a New King James, it's uh, here that it says when he, goes, when he went out onto the porch, uh, the rooster crowed the first time. Other manuscripts don't contain that. Uh, so you can imagine what's going through Peter's head. He just did what God told him. But that one caught him by surprise, I imagine, because here's this servant girl that coming out of nowhere and says, Hey, I recognize you. You were with him. Startled, fearful, out comes the denial. It's probably one in the morning. It, it, it's, you know, one, one fifteen in the morning at this time by, by now. Peter's shaken. So he, he kind of heads off to the porch uh, where he's out of sight. He's away from the light of the fire and he's, he's out, out there and he says that when he went out onto the porch and he went out onto the porch. The servant girl saw him and began once more to say to the bystanders, this is one of them. But again he denied it. Again, he denied it. In fact, in one account, it says that he denied it with an oath. I swear I don't know this man. I swear I don't know him. Now, it's not a being startled. Now he's fearful of his life. Now it's a planned denial. He's hiding so he doesn't have to be seen and known. He's staying in the shadows. And after a little while, bystanders were again saying to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean too. Your accent gives you away. You're from Galilee. But he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter, had, Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him, before a rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he began to weep. It says in John's account that uh, this third, one of the third, this group of bystanders of this third denial was Malchus's relative the man whom he had cut his ear off. This guy knew Peter. Peter knew this guy knew him. He knows he's busted. So vehemently, it says he begins to swear and curse. That doesn't mean he used profanity. That meant he, he brought down curses. He was bringing down curses on himself. You know, kind of like, you know, this isn't recorded as him saying it, but it would be similar to saying, May God strike me dead if I'm not telling you the truth that I don't know this man. 
He began to swear with an oath. You know, I swear on a stack of Bibles. I swear on my mother's grave. I, I swear on the head of the high priest. I don't know what he was swearing on, but that's what it meant. He was calling down curses on himself and swearing, I do not know this man. But at that moment, the rooster crowed a second time. And in Luke's account, chapter 22, verse 61, it's at this point, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're escorting Jesus from the house of, of uh, Annas and Caiaphas. Annas and, uh, and Caiaphas. He's br they're bringing him across the courtyard now to be seen, to be on trial before the Romans. And Jesus, being out in the courtyard, turns and he looks directly at Peter. And the other accounts say Peter went off and wept bitterly. He sobbed. His inside was ready to come out on the outside. He was heartbroken. He had done what Jesus said he would do. What, what he swore would not happen. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in the place where you were never going to do something again? Where God convicts you of something and you, you say, I, you know, I, I got it. I'm not ever going to do it. I, thank you, Lord, that I'm forgiven. I'm not going to do this again. And you just, you, you make an oath to yourself or whatever, but you're just not going to. And then there you are again. That's the enemy working through your flesh. That's the enemy whispering in your ear of how to satisfy, gratify, gratify pleasure, whatever yourself. That's how he works. How to protect yourself. How to defend yourself. You've got a strategy just like Peter did. And you know what? Yours is as good as Peter's. It ain't going to work. It just will not work. You know what Peter was missing here that you have? Peter could have done nothing but this, I want you to know. Not because Jesus said so, not because it was prophesied by the Lord, not because God made it happen, but because this is the best Peter could do. Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit. Remember, he wouldn't receive the Holy Spirit till, the, till Pentecost. And that was coming months later. This was the best of Peter's flesh. And Peter's flesh was pretty darn good. If you're going to grade it, he got grade double A. He was good at doing things for himself. But that's not how you live the Christian life. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing but you can do all things through my Spirit who strengthens you. If you're familiar with the rest of the story, God restores the Lord after the resurrection, restores Peter. But then Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit from on high that day of Pentecost, Peter becomes a preacher that could not be stopped. He wasn't backing down to anybody, not because of the energy of his flesh,
but because he had what Jesus promised. In, in Mark 13, just the previous chapter, the Lord told him, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you up to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Peter didn't have the Holy Spirit here. But when he was empowered from on high, Peter was no coward. Peter didn't deny the Lord, and we know that Peter was martyred. We know in Acts chapter 12 that James had already been killed, and because it pleased the Jews, Herod arrested Peter also and was going to do the same thing to Peter after Passover. And on the night before he was going to bring Peter out of prison, who was, who was chained to two guards, and there were two at the, at the gate or at the door of the prison to make sure he didn't get away, the very night before he was going to be brought out, what do we find Peter doing? Sleeping. He wasn't in agony. He wasn't worrying. He wasn't strategizing. He wasn't plotting. He wasn't trying to get a hold of a pigeon to send a note out to somebody as to what to do or where. To... Uh-uh. He was sleeping. And what did God do? God delivered him. But Peter wasn't afraid anymore of dying because he knew who he was, alive with the Spirit of God. And Peter knew, apart from the Lord, he can fail miserably. You see, this Gospel of Mark is actually Peter's account. Mark, John Mark, was converted after uh, the resurrection. John Mark was converted and, and was discipled by Peter. We find him and Peter together all the time. This is Peter's story. And you notice he didn't leave it out. You know what? If that would have been me, I would have been tempted to not mention that part. I would have been te tempted to kind of downplay it a little bit. Uh-uh. Peter's the only one, or Mark is the only one where it says, he swore and cursed. In other words, this is how vehemently I denied my Lord. This is Peter's testimony. What's yours? Are you living this life doing the best you can? It isn't going to work. And you know what? God will bring you to the same place to show you that it doesn't work. He has to because you're doing it wrong. The way to do it right, the way to abundant life is by allowing the Holy Spirit of God to live his life through you, expressing his character through you. You're to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service of worship. It's you and God in a partnership declaring him to the world. And apart from him, still you can do nothing. And we're not nothing. 
We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So here we have a community in which we live. Here we have workers that we work next to, employees that we, we uh, employ, neighbors we live next to, families we belong to, and guess who they need to see? They need to see Jesus. They need to hear the Lord. And you who believe have him. So let him declare himself. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. He isn't dead. He's alive and living in you to empower you to do all things that he directs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for your love and mercy. Oh, Lord, thank you for your mercy. Father, we do want to be a people who declares you. The best of our flesh is still ugly. So, Father, teach us where we're walking in our flesh. Reveal it to us so that we don't have to. I, I pray if we find ourselves arguing with you over what we can do and can't do or will do or won't do, I pray, Father, that we would just recognize the foolishness of that and that we would just humble ourselves and recognize that apart from you, we really can do nothing. Apart from you, we're capable of anything. So, Lord, thank you that you are present. Find us faithful, I pray. Amen.